You're listening to ReachMD XM157, and this month's special series focus on children's health. What is the current revolution in newborn screening? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Beth Torini, clinical lecturer in the Child Health Evaluation Research Unit with the University of Michigan C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dr. Torini is the lead author of the Archives of Pediatric an adolescent medicine article, The Current Revolution in Newborn Screening, New Technology, Old Controversies. Dr. Torini, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you for having me. Tell us, what is tandem mass spectrometry? Tandem mass spectrometry is a technology that has been recently introduced into newborn screening. The basic premise of the technology is that it can take one drop of blood in the case of newborn screening, and from that one drop of blood can analyze the type and level of compounds that are present in that drop of blood. What is the cost of this test? In comparison to old screening technologies, tandem mass spec is cheap and fast. And the reason it is such is because it takes one drop of blood and analyzes all the compounds present in that drop of blood, whereas previously those compounds had to be tested by individual tests. And so the amount of tests you could do was limited by that amount of blood you had. So in that regard, tandem mass spec is able to test for many more disorders with that one drop of blood than previous technologies. You said it's fast. How fast? In a matter of under 10 minutes, Numerous samples can be run through the tandem mass spectrometer and the chemical analysis printed out. Is the actual machine expensive or not? The machine itself is quite expensive and can cost as much as half of a million dollars. However, the amount of information that you can extract from each sample and the number of samples you can process over time is large. How has the number of disorders screen changed with this technology? Prior to the use of tandem mass spectrometry, an average state screened for anywhere from five to eight disorders. Now, with the introduction of tandem mass spectrometry, it is not uncommon for a state to be able to screen for more than 40 disorders. So you've more than quadrupled the numbers of disorders for which you can screen. How many states use tandem mass spectrometry? I would say nearly the majority of all states in this country are either using tandem mass spectrometry at present or are planning to incorporate it into their newborn screening program. What are the advantages? Tandem mass spectrometry gives you a wealth of information in a quick period of time. And what are the challenges? I'm imagining that TMI, too much information, could be harmful in some cases. You're exactly right. The double-edged sword here is you get a lot of information with tandem mass spectrometry. The next question is, what do you do with it? And two challenges rise to the surface here. First of all, as is in the case of medical technology in general, information we can gather about how to identify a disorder often precedes or outstrips our ability of understanding how best to treat it. In addition, in some cases it's not clear whether differences we see on a lab test translate into differences in disease, whether or not that abnormality seen in the laboratory is what we say clinically significant, whether that child will, in fact, have a disease. Does a uniform newborn screening panel exist? 
in 2005, the American College of Medical Genetics released a recommendation that states screen for 29 disorders, which they felt, after review, benefits outweighed the risks for screening. However, these are recommendations, and it's up to each individual state to decide whether or not they will implement screening for those 29 disorders. That being said, most states in the country have either implemented or are going to implement those 29 disorders. Are there groups that are advocating for just the opposite? There are some people who are concerned that newborn screening may be moving too fast in its implementation of new disorders. The concerns that some bring to the table are that we may not understand best how to treat these disorders, and in some cases, we may not know whether abnormalities found on testing, in fact, represent true disease. And so one concern is that we may end up over-treating some children who didn't need to be treated. Do false positives occur? False positive results definitely do occur, and they occur in any screening program. There is no screening program in medicine in which false positives are not a concern. However, there are ways to deal with false positives, knowing that they exist. For instance, the technology is being improved to try to minimize false positives. We, as physicians, are learning how to communicate with parents to minimize any psychological burden that the experience could have long-term. So false positives exist, but we're dealing with them. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Beth Torini, clinical lecturer in the Child Health Evaluation Research Unit with the University of Michigan C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan, discussing newborn screening using tandem mass spectrometry. Dr. Torini, how do you minimize false positives? Well, you minimize false positives, most importantly, by trying to optimize your technology. In some cases, better algorithms are done with tandem mass spectrometry to try to improve the ability to predict disease from a positive screen. In some cases, multiple levels of testing are done to minimize any errors that could occur. How do physicians ease the psychological burden relating to false positives? Some research uh, we have suggests that optimizing communication with parents is key here, and that means specifically getting parents to understand that the false positive result has no bearing on the child's future health, that it does not portend that the child will become ill more. It is simply a laboratory phenomenon. How often does that education occur? Given the recent research, primary care physicians are increasingly aware of their need to close the loop on a false positive with a parent, so to say, and to reinforce to that parent that this event is limited to newborn screening and has no effect on the child's future health. What are the tools and resources available to the healthcare community in this regard? Well, recently, the American College of Medical Genetics has published action or ACT sheets, A-C-T sheets. And through these sheets, they hope to help guide physicians through the evaluation and management of some of these conditions and also to provide background to answer some common questions that parents will have. So if physicians don't feel comfortable having an off-the-cuff discussion with a parent, 
these act sheets provide a potentially valuable resource for physicians. And what's the best way to access these? They can be found on the ACMG, or American College of Medical Genetics, website. What are DNA microarrays? DNA microarrays are a tool to evaluate gene expression, basically whether a gene that someone has is active and doing something in the body or whether it's inactive and not doing something. The key to a microarray is that you can test for the function of up to 100,000 genes at a time. Previously, the only way to test for gene function or expression, as they say, was to do it in a laborious way one by one. Now, you can test for 100,000 genes, potentially, on one small glass slide that's probably no more than an inch or two wide. How does this technology dovetail with newborn screening? Well, microarrays are not the mainstay of newborn screening at the current time. It remains tandem mass spectrometry as well as other enzyme tests. However, the potential does exist to use the genetic technology of microarrays to test for genetic abnormalities in children. Now, whether that is used to evaluate children after a screen is positive or whether that is used as the first-line testing has yet to be determined. Behind closed doors, what feedback have you received from the medical community in terms of expanding newborn screening? There are a lot of voices in the medical community about expanding newborn screening. There are those who believe that expanded newborn screening has demonstrated and has the potential to save many more lives in newborn screening than was previously possible. At the same time, there are others who are concerned that newborn screening may be expanding at too rapid a rate, and they are concerned that in some cases we may be rushing to implement tests for which we have limited understanding of how best to treat them. Dr. Trini, how can listeners learn more? Listeners can learn more uh, in a number of ways. They can learn about specific genetic tests through genetest.org. They can learn also about general genetics information through the Genetics Home Reference. Dr. Torini, thank you so much for joining us to discuss tandem mass spectrometry. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now offers on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157 and this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health. To download podcasts of this month's series, visit us at ReachMD.com. I'm Dr. David Preskill. You're listening to Preskill's Perspective on ReachMD. Resident Match Day has passed us by, and our interns-to-be are at the end of a grueling four years. Graduation is at hand as they mentally prepare to embark on a journey which only intensifies the challenge of medical school. One interesting aspect of this year's match program is the rise of couples attempting to match very near the same city. In this, the largest class of resident candidates ever, data shows a record 738 couples applied for residencies in the same vicinity, with 94% success in matching. Some might be alarmed at this notion of personal relationships influencing the medical process. My perspective is that this is likely the sign of a more mature class of candidates. 
Medical education programs urge students to engage the personal side of medicine, building relationships with patients and colleagues. Indeed, many students thrive while balancing medical and personal obligations. As they move through their internship, the whirlwind of learning about the human body and its processes will begin to slow down. In the coming years, they'll invest an extraordinary amount of time and energy and determination preparing for the enduring challenges of a career in medicine. It's an opportune time for us medical professionals to reflect on the years since our training. The practice of medicine has changed dramatically, frankly, in some cases, not for the better. But we have also taken tremendous steps towards bettering the health care we provide. And we remain in dogged pursuit of a happier, healthier America. The biggest task for our newest residents is to take up this challenge with us. I'm Dr. David Preskill for ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you.